in our home. There's one condiment that we can't live without. And while my wife is willing to be flexible on the brand, the reality is that anything other than her favorite is just a lackluster counterfeit. Unfortunately, when we moved to Colorado, we couldn't find her favorite brand. And it was a big enough deal that I considered asking the manager of our grocery store to begin stocking it. Hi, I'm your host, Zach Garber, and you're listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast for community banks and credit unions who go the extra mile for their account holders. Now, there's a problem that I couldn't find an acceptable substitute. Now, the condiment in question is just mayonnaise. Actually, it was very similar to a lot of banking products, come to think of it. Odds are that a consumer can go to just about any bank or credit union and find the accounts and services their financial life depends on. But what happens if a consumer finds a brand that he or she loves? They're loyal to it. And if they move to a new state, they're going to seek it out. This phenomenon underpins the whole concept of a brand, an easily recognizable, repeatable experience. Now, for megabanks, they've got the scale and national presence to sell their own dog food, so to speak. However, community financial institutions must look for vendors and partners who can provide recognizable brands and experiences at scale, helping to draw new consumers in. In the world of card processing, Visa and MasterCard are the classic examples of this. Today, in the fintech world, the landscape is more fragmented, but the decisions about whom to partner with are even more important. And that brings us to my interview with Craig Routon, a senior vice president at Casasa. He knows all about the risks that community financial institutions face when vetting new partners, as well as the benefits of a successful partnership. And that's what we're talking about today. I think you're going to be surprised by what he has to say, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, with that, let's jump in. Craig Routon, I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today. Uh, I'm looking forward to picking your brain, and I'd love (laughs) if you could start out by just telling the listeners a little bit about yourself and what you do at Casasa. Absolutely, Zach. I... uh... Uh, my role at Casasa, the, my title is Senior Vice President. I've been with Casasa for about eight years. Uh, prior to joining Casasa, um, spent uh, a number of years in the event marketing world uh, and then moved into banking and worked on the lending side of the house and was thrilled when I learned that uh, a company like Casasa even existed that brought uh, uh, the marketing side and the the to banking and, and retail together to uh, help uh, community financial institutions uh, compete. Uh, so I've been here for about eight years. Um, my role at Casasa is more on the new business development side, but um, helping folks find um, finding the right partners and also uh, in the mutual vetting process as we're vetting potential partners and they're vetting us, kind of helping them walk through that together. Great. Well, that's what we're here to talk about today, really, is this uh, idea of, of how community financial institutions approach approach this partnership process um, mm-hmm. and what some of the benefits and what some of the downfalls might be for this. Um, and, and I just want to be totally honest with our listeners, too. Like, you're probably listening and thinking, like, did, did Craig just say that he's uh, in sales? And in a manner of speaking, yes, he did. And uh this is not a sales call. This is not a sales podcast. It's not what this is about. Um, what we're talking about here is something that we think will benefit 
community financial institutions, no matter who you partner with, whether that's us or whether that's, you know, a fintech vendor in a totally different space. Um, we just learned some things about this process and we think that uh, it'd be worth sharing. So that's that's what we're talking about today. Um, and, I, you know, Craig, I would love if you could maybe give a little bit of a set a little bit more of the background for how you've seen community financial institutions approach partnering with with vendors like Casasa or like other fintechs. Um, has that changed since you entered uh, into the banking world? That's a great question. Um, the, uh, the process of evaluation, I think, has become uh, more um, streamlined, especially as the number of financial institutions in the market um, have has dwindled uh, with mergers, with acquisitions. And so folks have to be much more strategic in their approach. Um, we find that uh, when, when folks are looking for a strategic partner, um, the potential impact is uh, substantial. And therefore, uh, it's not typically a quick decision. It's something that has to be vetted over the long haul to make sure that they're making the right decision. Um, so, so yeah, I think that that as uh, over the last eight years, we we've definitely seen an evolution in how people have made their decisions. It's interesting. I I've noticed something. I mean, I'm really new to the banking space. Um, I've, I've not done anything like this before working with Casasa, so that I'm I'm still pretty starry eyed about this um, <laughs> or, or learning things, you know. And one of the things that I've noticed is that, I, and I've asked myself this question: who who is it that uh, community financial institutions trust? Like, do they trust each right. other? Do they trust regulators? Like who, who is the voice of trust in, in their industry? And it seems like the thing that has come up over and over again are these associations, right? Like uh, whether that be CUNA or ICBA or any of the other kind of state institutions, what do you think, what's going on there? What, what is it about that relationship that lends so much trust to how they like, approach those associations? I, I think that just the camaraderie that comes within the association network, the ability to uh, reach out to peers, uh, to learn what's working, what's not working, to uh, bounce ideas off of one another. Um, the associations that I've been uh, able to be a part of, uh, they bring, a, obviously, the being a... Uh, uh, someone that doesn't have a stake in the game, but is coming to the table to say, how can I help you? And how can I help you win? Um, gives a, a great deal of credibility and uh, a great deal of confidence to the FIs when, they, when they're turning and they're, they're looking for uh, someone who can uh, guide them, direct them, or, or like I said, even just listen sometimes and kind of hear what's going on in their world. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, you know, the, the early adoption is sort of, seems like it's a scary thing in the space, like being the first person to take on a, a product that hasn't necessarily been proven. I mean, I can imagine, I try to imagine, sure. uh, you know, for my role, I, uh, as a copywriter with our marketing team, I try to think about um, the sort of concerns, what keeps, you know, bankers and credit union executives up at night. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I can see how a new product would feel that way. Um, there's a sure. term that we use 
in uh, around Kasasa as a way, you know, to, a shorthand, I think, um, so that we know what we're talking about. But that, the term I'd like to explore a little bit with you is coopetition is what we call it. And I'm not sure. Even sure if it's a real word, but we talk about competition in <laughs> uh, Kasasa. And, and so what does that mean? What are we trying to say? I think that uh, the, the concept behind co-opetition is that uh, obviously there's there's a feeling, feeling of competition between community banks uh, in the space that they're in. Uh, they feel like they're fighting for market share. Um, what we have found, and I think what the data fleshes out, and any community banker that uh, might be listening in here today would uh, would feel like we're probably preaching to the choir when we share this, but um, back, if, if you go back 30 years prior to today, um, what we saw was about 70% of the deposits in this country were sitting in community banks. Um, and for every 10 checking accounts that were open 30 years ago, seven of them were opened by community banks and only three fell into that other category. You fast forward 30 years to today and the the deposit mix in this country has completely flipped. Where seventy uh, percent of the deposits today are sitting in the top 10, 12 banks in the country, and for every ten checking accounts that are open today, eight out of every ten of those are opened at the top 10, 12 banks in the country. Which means wow. that community financial institutions today are really fishing out of a very small pool, which is that two out of every 10 checking account pool. And they're basically, you have thousands of institutions, thousands of community banks. And if you want to include the credit unions in there as well, you're probably looking at 10 to 12,000 institutions fighting over that two out of every 10 accounts that's being opened today. And so the concept of co-opetition is saying, look, I know that you feel like you're very competitive against the other community banks in your market, but there are there's a whole pool of potential market share out there that that you're not tapping into today. That if we were to work together to to be able to move from the two out of ten pool into the eight out of ten pool, there there's so much opportunity. And so when we look at coopetition, when we talk about coopetition. That is more the concept. Um, working, again, maybe not hand in hand together, but not being afraid to say, um, how can we aggregate our resources to be able to accomplish more? Yeah, well, it seems like the thing there, right, is, you know, you can be competitive with, you know, the community bank down the street or the credit union down the street. Um but when you really look hard at, at how competitive you are with a mega bank, it brings up some questions like what sort of technology are you offering? Uh, and then sure. what's your customer experience is like? And those are some things that like Kasasa can help with in some small ways. But the reality is that you're going to need a range of partners to help you compete against a mega bank, Agreed. you know, to, to offer this, all the services, all the products and, and to have a really, uh, you know, a really smooth customer experience. And that's kind of the, so some of the, one of the things we wanted to talk about today was the situation in, in Nashville where we had, or the greater Nashville region, where we had a number of institutions who were evaluating us, looking at Kasasa, 
um, and and feeling some of those concerns about like what what's what's gonna it, it, is Kazas a good partner for me and and what happens if you know the bank down the street also offers Kazasa like that's I don't, I'm not sure if I like that idea. Um, can you mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about that situation from your perspective? Sure. The, the, the situation that you are referring to, uh, again, I, uh, I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So, uh, anything that's happening here in my state and again, within speaking of the association that you associations, you referenced a moment ago, the Tennessee bankers association is a wonderful association that, uh, that umbrellas 98% of the, the banks in uh, the Tennessee footprint, um, Within the Nashville market in and of itself, uh, there's, uh, last I checked, there was 47, 48 different financial institutions that were playing ball within uh, that uh, DMA. Um, And uh, early on, uh, then again, this goes back about eight years, seven, eight years, uh, as folks were considering partnering with Kasasa, one of the concerns that they had when they would partner with Kasasa was um, that we, we are a nationally branded product. And again, there are a number of nationally branded products available out there uh, today. But the concern that the institutions had was, well, what I don't want to be carrying a, a product on my shelf that another uh, institution may be down the road or, or that is also within the same footprint might be carrying as well. And the the situation that you're referencing, you had two institutions in particular. One was, I I would say, medium size for Mm -hmm. who we typically work with, which was in the three to four hundred million asset range. The other at the time was in the one point two to one point four billion asset range, and both had different concerns. The larger institution was concerned of about someone small carrying the brand and minimizing who they felt like they were as a large institution, as well as being concerned about it diminishing the results that they might see. The smaller institution felt like uh, with, because they actually partnered with us first prior to the larger institution um, deciding to partner with us. And when they heard that the larger institution was going, it scared them. And they were afraid that, again, that their results would be diminished and all the market share would be taken away by the larger institution. So um, they were the they were still looking yes, at those those two like two out of every 10 accounts thinking we've got to figure out how we're going to share these two, you know, metaphorical two accounts with this much bigger institution. That's not going to play out well you, for us. You are 100% correct. Yes, I, they uh, they 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 weren't looking at the bigger picture of what was available out there. And again, Casasa just being one of many um, uh, potential partners that someone could use to go after market share in different ways within the institution. But for what we were bringing to the table at the time, um, there was there was a significant concern um, around. Uh, being able to to see the results that they wanted to see. Um, fast forward uh, even one year into the program for for both of the institutions, they saw exponential growth, even beyond what they would have seen uh, launching individually. And the reason why was because the um, uh, the they were able to raise the brand awareness of 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 the brand that they were offering in the market. And as we know, when you raise awareness of a brand, it's 
when, when the tide comes in, it's not just one ship that rises. It's all ships are going to rise with the tide. So they saw an immediate exponential growth out of the gate. And both of them have seen uh, substantial year over year uh, growth um, ever since. So again, that's over the last seven, eight years now. Um, but it, it's been, it, it was, it was counter to what they thought would happen initially. Um, but by taking a chance and, and working with an, and again, not just Casasa, but with a nationally branded product, they were able to see greater results than they could have seen, uh, by just rolling out something on their own, uh, and solo, if you will. In their yeah, that, that makes sense. I mean, it seems, I mean, the, both sides of it makes sense to me, like the concern that you would mm -hmm. have on the front end and then being able to see on the backside that there's this this cumulative effect that that they're enjoying um and it seems like that's i mean so an example that, that comes to mind um i live in a totally different state than the credit union where my my paycheck gets deposited um and that, that sure. has led to some problems for me um, but one of the ways <laughs> that i'm able to solve that problem is uh through the shared branch co-op network right sure like and that's sure. it's not like I went around looking for a credit union that had that, but like, that's a service mm -hmm. that people are partnering in that, that is beneficial to everybody who's involved in it. And, and cause that's sure. work exactly like that, but it strikes me that like that a good product is a good product where, wherever it is, you know, and that maybe that's something that is, especially now where consumers can get on the internet and they can do a lot more comparison, a lot more research. They walk in the door way more informed. Um, hmm. You, you want to offer something that you know people are interested in and that you know that it, it is attractive to them. I mean, that's, of course, what underpins like Kasasa. <laughs> um, but it strikes me that that, that like, works for other things, like whether that's person-to-person -person payments or, or any other number of vendors that institutions would be looking at. Uh, for sure, and if if you if you take your uh, the thought that you had had brought up just a moment ago about uh, why people in that eight out of ten bucket are going to the mega banks today, um, and again, any any banker that's listening it will will feel like we're uh, will know that we're all just singing out of the same songbook here, but um, they know consumers know that if they're going to if they were to bank with a community financial institution, they, they would get better service than they would by going to a, a, a super regional bank or a mega bank. They, they know that that would happen. They feel that the perceived uh, perception is that they're going to get the better products. They're going to get the better service. They're going to get the better technology, if you will, by going to the larger institution. And therefore, they're willing to sacrifice service to get that greater product or technology offering. The truth of the matter is today, the community financial institutions have caught up and have the products and the technology that they are able to offer partnering with great vendors all over, you know, across the country. The, the gap is not as wide as the perception is to the consumer. So now it's going out and convincing the consumer that, hey, you don't have to sacrifice the great service to get that the great products and the great technology that you're looking for. You can have your cake and you can eat it too. And by offering a branded product, you can instill, you can, you can capture some of the social validation that you can't get if you're offering a product on your own that's a one-off type product that when someone goes and Googles that product, um, they may see that it's a five-star product, but it only has a handful of reviews. 
well, when I'm buying something on Amazon, even right now at Christmas time, um, mm-hmm. I'm going out and if I'm looking at two identical products that are fungible products that both are five-star products, but this five-star product has 20 reviews and this five-star product has 2,000 reviews, I'm going to consistently buy the five-star product with 2,000 reviews because I'm looking for that social validation. It's right. one of the great things that that getting a nationally branded product of any kind, it, it's what that's going to bring to the table is that social validation that you don't have to make a sacrifice here or there. And to your point earlier, um, all the other industries have been doing this for Grocery stores have been doing this for years. You can walk into a grocery store today and you can buy Tide or you can buy their generic brand of dish soap or laundry soap. Yeah, actually. And now they're... <laughs> on, on, on that note, I have a very relevant example of this. Hey, we're going to take a short break to tell you about something that we've been working on and we are pretty excited about. I've got a three-year-old son, and he loves Cheerios. Much to his dismay, we keep the box of Cheerios on the top of the refrigerator, safely out of his reach. Actually, we keep cookies and other treats on top of the fridge as well. It drives him crazy. You can see that smorgasbord of yummy snacks, but he can't get to them. In the business world, it often feels like everybody is keeping their best information out of your reach. On the top of the fridge, so to speak, or behind an info capture page. Well, here at Kasasa, we're making a change. We're putting some of our best intelligence and analysis within reach for any community financial institution, whether you partner with us or not. It's called the Kasasa Exchange, and every couple of months we release a new trove of infographics, blog posts, podcasts, and videos. It's all free. And we won't ask for your email, phone number, home address, or kindergarten teacher's name. Anyway, point being, it's all right there in the open for you to enjoy. Check it out today at www.kasasa.com backslash exchange and look for a link in the show notes. Where I was in a grocery store nearby and my wife grew Mm -hmm. up in Texas. Um, I grew up in the North. I'm, 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 I'm a Yankee, I guess. Um, and <laughs> in, in Texas, we use this mayonnaise, Duke's mayonnaise. Um, and I don't sure. know if they have that there in Tennessee, but like my wife consistently said, like, this is the best mayonnaise. And we moved to Colorado and we can't find it anywhere. And so we found something that's, sure. that's functional. And then I was in a grocery sure. store. I don't usually shop in and there was Duke's on the shelf <laughs> and I brought it home. Wow. She was so excited about it. Like it's mayonnaise. <laughs> but right. when, when you develop that attachment to a brand or you have an experience with a brand, like you carry that with you. People move states. People, you know, like there, there's this mobility. And so what what that positive brand experience can do for you is it, I mean, it's like a boomerang with a really long turnaround. <laughs> it That's takes true. a while for it to come back, but it does come back and it benefits you. That's true. It's true. And there's, and again, it's not just any one uh, nationally branded product, but when you're able to carry a product that, uh, any product on your shelf that has a national brand attached to it, that has a following and that has that social validation that folks are looking for, it, it's going to elevate your opportunity to win time and time again. It's what yeah. we found to be true. It seems like that kind of ties into the discussion that we've been having on the podcast about scale. How do small institutions scale their operation? And, and a lot of that conversation has been about data, but it seems to me like we, 
when you're in like this partnership selection mode, right? Like who, who are we going to pick? Who are we going to partner with to, to provide whatever this product is? Like scale needs to be something that you look at pretty heavily. Like, can this partner help us, you know, magnify our scale over mm-hmm. what we have? Agreed. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and from, again, we're, we're focused more in this conversation only because of the impact that it has made uh, specific to the institutions you mentioned in the Nashville market. Um, uh, but, but that has been exponential. And we've seen it not just in one market, but we have dozens and dozens of large markets as well, you know, as, as uh, r- more rural markets where we've seen that scale be able to make a a significant impact for them. Yeah. Well, to kind of turn the conversation now a little bit, um, if we're talking about what we've learned about this partnership process, right? What are some things Mm -hmm. that you think are are pitfalls, like that maybe you've seen institutions, you know, partner with somebody and then it doesn't work out? Was that, what, what are some of the things that you think are red flags in this vetting process? Well, uh, that's, uh, that's a bit of a loaded question. We don't have to, sure. you know, this isn't like, you know, this sure. isn't a college course here, but I'm, I'm curious, you know, oh, you're, sure. the field, you're talking to these people. I'm sure they're, you're hearing sure. stories from, from CEOs saying like, man, we, we tried this and it just, it just didn't work. And, and now we're feeling gun shy or, or whatever it is. Yeah, I agree. Now I, I tell you, um, and again, let's look across a myriad of products. Yeah. Uh, if you're partnering with a provider who is bringing a um, a well-rounded solution to the table and a solution that is more, uh, obviously, if you're partnering with someone who's just bringing a commodity to the table and it's a plug and play, you can purchase that commodity. You can take it, you can plug it in and you're and, and it'll if it's a widget, it's going to do what the, the widget to. Uh, what you bought it to do. If mm-hmm. it's more of a consultative solution, what we have found, uh, t- th- there are absolutely some things that have to be in place to see results from a consultative solution. Uh, first off, you have to have executive buy-in. If you don't have executive buy-in at, at the C level, um, you're not going to see results uh, when you get the, to the feet on the street, because your mm-hmm. frontline staff is going to mirror the ex, the level of excitement that the C levels bring to the table, so that's number one, probably first and foremost. Uh, another key component to to seeing success when you're deploying a consultative solution is how how much confidence and trust are you going to put in the partner that you're bringing to the table? Are you willing to follow their, their recommendations? Um, we tell folks uh, all the time, and I'm sure I've actually talked to other vendor partners who uh, I see at conferences over and over again, uh, and that when folks come to us and they ask, well, what are my results going to be when I partner with you? And a lot of times it's like uh, going to the gym and going to a personal mm-hmm. trainer and asking the personal <laughs> trainer, hey, how much weight am I going to lose? And the personal trainer kind of looks at you and say, well, I don't know. How many pizzas are you going to eat? How many right. beers are you going to drink? How, how much weight do you want to lose? How committed are, <laughs> are you to this process? Exactly. There's only so much that the partner, the vendor partner can control. Um, the 
But if the uh, end user is willing to invest in the process and engage in the process and follow the recommendations, um, they'll typically see phenomenal results no matter what solution they're deploying. Uh, but there has to be um, there has to be that trust. There has to be that that level of investment of emotional energy as well as just saying, "Hey, we now that we've made the decision to partner." We believe in what you're bringing to the table and we're going to deploy in a way that you are coaching us to deploy because we really want to see the results that we believe that you can deliver for us. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, <laughs> I think that's a great example, honestly. <laughs> I mean, you, know, you, you would hope that uh, if, if a company was out there offering a product, you know, investing in, in whatever their sales funnel is, like that they had some evidence that the product worked. You know, and, sure. and, you know, hopefully they can make some recommendations about how to get the most out of it. <laughs> no? uh, without question. And it's funny when when partners come to the table and they say, hey, these are the results that we typically see. Uh, typical results, pardon me, but typical results obviously have folks that come out and they crush it and they go above those typical results and folks that end up a little below those typical results. And that's why you have the typical somewhere in the, in the middle there, the average results. Um, so when folks ask, well, what makes, uh, what, what, what are the variables that come into play that makes folks an underperformer or, um, or that helps other institutions knock the ball out of the park? Those are typically variables that if, if they have that, that full buy-in at the executive level, and they're willing to actually trust and engage with a partner, they're going to typically be able to see those average or above average results that, that the partner is, is, is touting when they come in on the front end. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense. I'm curious, I'm speaking a little bit from personal experience here. I, I'm a DIY sure. guy. I like to fix my own cars. I like, if something breaks, I, I mean, I like I have a shelf in my office where my kids bring sure. stuff. And they're like, daddy's broken. Sure. And glue it back together, whatever. Um, I know there sure. are institutions out there who have, like, they might see a product, they might see a vendor and think, ah, oh, that's interesting. Maybe we should develop that in-house. Um, Certainly. What, I mean, do you have any recommendations for how they should think about that process? Like, there are some projects, I don't do wiring, for example. I'm a handy <laughs> guy, but I don't, I, electricity <laughs> is black magic to me and I don't touch it. <laughs> sure. You know? Sure, sure. Um, but, I imagine that there are analogs for, for bankers like, oh, well, we can maybe do mm -hmm. that in-house, but probably not this Certainly. other thing. What, what are some of those things? I mean, like, yeah, talk about what you've seen in the market uh, when it comes well, to Well, and again, not to, only because it's who we are um, as a company, but to when you branch out and look at other partners in the field that are bringing consultative solutions to the table, they're typically bringing multifaceted solutions to the table. So the encouragement would be make sure you understand all of the different facets and components that are being brought to bear to deliver the results that that partner says that they can deliver. Um, and when you're saying, well, maybe we can bring this in-house and do it ourselves, it's possible, it's very possible that you can. Um, and, and there's, but make sure that you're understanding all of the different facets that are being delivered because to be able to get those same results, you're probably going to have to replicate each and every facet. And so again, just to 
use the Casasa model, if you will, if if sure. if, uh, I mean, if that's, that's okay. what we know. So yeah, no, it is, I'm, it I'm is what we know. So so within the Casasa model, you um, if someone wanted to go out and and replicate the say the Casasa checking system, they could they could go to their core and they could have a product turned on, and and then they would have the product. Now the from there they the core would typically turn it on and say, okay, how, what do you want your product design to look like? So with, within Casasa, we're bringing then that consultative side to not just uh, tell them to coach them on, hey, we've got our thumb on the market and know what's going on in the marketplace, but this is how you should design your product, but also keeping the thumb on the on the pulse of what's going on in the market to know when to make changes in the future. Um, it's very possible that in uh, a financial institution could do that piece on their own, but they need to know that that's a component that they're going to be on their own for. Another component that someone like Casasa brings to the table would be the uh, to the automated marketing piece, which is helping with new customer or new member acquisition, depending on the type of FI, and also with current customer engagement and cross-selling. Again, if you if you have an automated plat- marketing platform already in place, then check you've got that knocked off if not you you have to go add that component if you want to see the type of results um, then again after you drive folks in as they walk through the door you have to have your frontline staff coached up and you have to have them trained up to have great conversations you'd hate to have to spend all the money on marketing and drive in new customers but then just to have it fall flat or not to right. have the close rate so Again, a partner like Casasa would then bring training to the table to help elevate the sales acumen of the frontline staff and then would be mystery shopping on a regular basis to make sure that that training is sticking. If it's not, they come back out and they retrain. Again, not that you couldn't go and hire trainers yourself because you could and you could hire mystery shopping yourself, but all of those are different components. You need to be able to, and again, I just mentioned what, three, four different aspects of of yeah. our model of what we bring to the table. And there's there's four or five other additional components that we bring to the table. If someone's looking to achieve the same caliber of results that we would be pro- projecting for them, they would just need to make sure that they've got all six or seven of those boxes checked. And the same thing if you're going to any uh, vendor partner out there and that vendor partner is saying, hey, I'm going to increase... Um, loan origination by X, or I'm going to increase whatever the whatever it is that they're driving in for you. Um, if you say, well, I, I think that I can take that in-house and I can, I can be able to achieve similar results, just make sure that you're looking at all the different facets of uh, what they're bringing to the table to deliver those results. And if you can check all those boxes, then God bless you. Go out there and, and crush it. But if not... <laughs> Uh, uh, figure out what it's going to cost you to do it by cobbling other vendors together to deliver that and find out if, and, and then determine whether or not it's a better solution to have one vendor turnkey it as opposed to cobbling it together with other vendors. Right. So, I mean, it seems like the, the core of what you're saying there is hidden complexity, right? You have you yeah, have this sure. field of vendors offering a range yeah. of products, you know, technology, all of this stuff. Their organizations mm-hmm. have their own complexities that they've gotten to be able to offer that product in the market. And, and it's really hard to see all of that until you're in it. And, you know, I mean, going back to my kind of DIY model, like when, when you've ripped the bathroom apart 
and and now you discover <laughs> the real plumbing issues, you know, and you thought like, oh, I can <laughs> I can install a sink or a toilet, no big deal. Oh, it turns out the subfloor is rotten. Like, oh, it turns <laughs> out this. You're like, there's there's all these there's stuff that you don't know you don't know until you're into it, right? Um, and that that would be something that you would want to take some time to to consider and and bring into your calculus because um, it really sucks to have your bathroom torn apart and then realize you don't, <laughs> you, don't have, no, you don't have what it takes to do it and you're going to have to hire somebody to come in and, and do it for you. I mean, what is are not bad in a bathroom, but yeah, they can hold it up. <laughs> you're exactly right. The, the, most uh, partners that work in the community banking space have been doing this for a long time. And uh, it, I, I always kind of fall back to there was a, um, uh, I believe it was in the Harvard uh, uh, Business Journal several years ago. There was an article that came out that talked about there's there's two different ways to, that you can innovate, and one way of innovating is by uh, just bringing something different and unique to the table and kind of changing the direction of the in- industry. And when you innovate that way, it's easy for folks to either copy that or for someone to say, okay, once maybe there's a patent or something on it, as soon as the patent wears off, I can change directions and I can mirror and do something that looks just like that. Most vendors that are in the space that have been doing this for a long time, instead of doing massive, large innovations, uh, big right turns uh, Mm -hmm. over the course of their history, have been making small micro turns every step of the way. And they, they, as they learn, and they make these little course corrections along the way, they're adding components that help them to be able to deliver the results that they're saying that they can bring to the table. By making all of those micro adjustments along the way and those micro innovations as opposed to the large right turn or left turn innovations, those are much harder for financial institutions to replicate. And that's one of the reasons why if you're partnering with someone who is an innovative company and has been doing it for a while, they probably have a lot of nuances that they're bringing to the table that even if you try to replicate them on your own, um, you're going to fall short. And and you may be happy with the results even by falling short, but you just need to be able to take all of that into consideration when you're looking at the uh, do-it-yourself as opposed to partnering with someone who kind of has a turnkey solution that they know that they can deliver those results with. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but it's, you know, I, I hope that this has, has been useful for listeners because one of the things that is important to me, like I, I'm not in a position where I'm making these decisions. I'm not evaluating uh, other vendors. And, and I don't, you know, I don't have that firsthand knowledge of what it's like to being leading a bank or a credit union and trying to figure out you know, what sort of decisions are going to pay off for the next five or 10 or 20 years. I mean, if you're thinking about the longevity of your business, like you can't just, sort of, you know, be haphazard about this. Like you're not, you know, you're not changing the drapes. Like this is how your business works. And so uh, I really wanted to have, you know, you come in and, and talk about this process uh, and, you know, bring that kind of that expert perspective, of, you know, about what it's like to look at vendors and, and what some of those concerns are. Um, I really appreciate your time, Craig. This has been a, a great conversation. Um, and I hope that it's helpful for people. And it's something that I think we'll, we'll be continuing to talk about because I mean, it's, it's not a problem that's going away, right? How, how we help I agree. 
how how community financial institutions compete with mega banks is is not nobody's going to solve that tomorrow. Um, mm. And and you know whatever we can do to help, we want to do. Agreed. Agreed. Thank you, I, and I appreciate the opportunity to come on. So thanks, Zach. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one one last thing <laughs> before we go, uh, I wanted I wanted to see if you have a recommendation, like a a book mm-hmm. or or um, you know, let's say maybe listen, watch, or read. But that you would make to the listeners. I love hearing what people are, are reading or watching and listening to. Uh, that's a great, again, a great question you're throwing out there. Uh, a couple of my favorite reads. Uh, one book that um, I, I've probably handed out more than any other book that I've ever read is a book called Love is the Killer App by Tim Ooh. Sanders. Uh, if you haven't read it, I strongly I'm recommend it. Down. <laughs> uh, it, it is it is a great. It's an easy read. It's not a. Uh, um, it's a quick read, but I'm telling you, it is a. Um, it, it it has changed the way that I um, think about uh, my personal growth as an individual, but not just to be growing. Uh, for my own personal growth, but to be growing in such a way that I can help to impact others and make mm. an, uh, and and help to develop others through the growth that I'm experiencing. But Love is the Killer app, phenomenal uh, read in a book that I'm reading right now, not even all the way through it, is a book called Radical Candor, um, which uh, is challenging <laughs> my socks off. So uh, a couple of books that... Uh, uh, but again, that for me personally, that's uh, great. And well, uh, for listeners, uh, we'll post it. links to yep. those books in the uh, sure. show notes for you. Um, I'm excited to. I mean, I'm going to go put them on my book list now because I hadn't heard of either awesome. of them, and they sound really interesting. So, Craig Rout, awesome. Thank you again so much for joining us on podcast, and uh, have a great day. Thank you. There's no way around it. We're definitely talking about Casasa in this episode. Those institutions in Tennessee saw great results using our products. But there are two reasons we chose to talk with Craig about this scenario. Number one, we had access to hard data for the results. And number two, the principle applies to how you view all vendor partnerships, regardless of the product or service. Casasa isn't the answer for all of your challenges. And you know your market better than anyone. I'm not saying you should throw that hard-won insight out the window. I'm encouraging you to upgrade your vetting process and look for vendors who can help you build your brand beyond the branch. The marketing genius Jay Abraham talks a lot about the fiduciary duty that businesses owe their customers. And mainly, he's talking about trust built by showing that you have consumers' best interests at heart. Once upon a time, community financial institutions built that trust by providing a safe place to store money. Today, that trust has to be expanded by offering great products and supporting them with great experiences. Sound intimidating? I hear you. The good news is that there are lots of vendors out there who want a fiduciary relationship with your institution, enabling you to increase your trustworthiness with your account holders. Only you can decide on the right partners for you. Hopefully, this episode helped you ask some new questions and look at your coopetition with new eyes. Thanks again for listening to Thinking Outside the Vault, a podcast produced and distributed by Kasasa. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to our podcast in Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or Stitcher, and leave us a review. 
This helps other listeners to discover us. You can also send your comments and feedback to social at casalsa.com. 